Alban Wesley is a musician based in Amsterdam. He is proud to be the bassoonist and founding member of Califax and to have been the bassoonist of Ensemble Music Fabrik in Cologne for 22 years. Since September 2018, Alban teaches bassoon at the Royal Conservatoire in The Hague. As the bassoonist of the award-winning Rick Quintet Califax and acclaimed Ensemble Music Fabrik, Alban Wesley is considered as one of the most versatile bassoonists of this time. He studied bassoon at the Royal Conservatoire de Hague with Jupp Terwe and Johann Steinmein and has since given more than 2,000 concerts in over 40 countries, chamber music in orchestra and solo settings. As of the 2018 and 19 season, Wesley has been teaching bassoon at the Royal Conservatoire in the Hague as a guest teacher, he has given numerous master classes in Japan, the US, China, and throughout Europe. So, welcome to the show. I'm so glad that you are finally on uh, my uh, little podcast. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, um, as we know that uh, you are the bassoonist of the wonderful Califax Reed Quintet, yeah, and mm-hmm. you have also played a long time in Cologne in the Ensemble Music Fabric. I was reading your book. Yeah, thank you for your book that you sent and your CD. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a very funny phrase inside that you mentioned that you described your relationship with the bassoon as uh, not being love at first sight. Do you mind elaborating why this was so? Um, well, uh, uh, as, a, as a boy, you know, I was 12 years old. I think there were so many things interesting in life. And I mean, within uh, uh, music, uh, the options that we have uh, f- uh, for, the, for, for the choice of an instrument, uh, I liked it a lot, but uh, I was far more interested in playing uh, soccer, for example. <laughs> so um, I, I come from a musical background and uh, uh, from a musical family and also the, the area where I lived, there was a lot of music making, so it was pretty normal to do music, but it was not my personal first uh, uh, thing to be attracted to. But then when I uh, was sort of, uh, you know, it's interesting because I have an eight-year-old daughter now and I very much feel myself how uh, keen uh, she is on learning, but she also doesn't want to be told what to do. Uh, So I I try to offer things and and find out what she really likes. And I guess there was a similar thing for me, although I was a bit older, you know, you, you... you find out what you like by by discovering yourself rather than having something imposed on you by your parents. So um, 
I think they did a good job by not pushing me towards the bassoon, and I just played it and and put it away for a year, and then played it again, and then I got more and more interested in in being good at it. So that's yeah, uh, not love us at first sight. Side uh, mainly refers to that I also like to do other things than uh, making music. I see you mentioned football, right? And Amsterdam is known for Ajax, right? So uh, yeah, fair yeah. Well, oh, you're well informed. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, when did it dawn on you that you could actually make a career as a professional bassoonist? Was there a certain moment that you realized? Yeah, and funnily enough, this was years after Califax had started. You know, the fact that we are around for almost 35 years now is a, is true, but it's also a bit of a joke because the first few years for me didn't really count because it wasn't supposed to be a professional group. It was just a bunch of teenagers who made some music together. And that was nice. And um, only later, when I left uh, the gymnasium, the, the, the high school, um, I discovered the options uh, uh, that that are there uh, to, to be really a musician and to make a living living of that. I mean, I said I come from a musical background, but ni- neither of my parents were professional musicians. Uh, they both played the piano very well, but had different uh, uh, professions. So it's a thing I had to discover myself. And uh, I must say, my three-year-old brother uh, was ahead of me in that respect. He also went to the conservatoire and... Of course, I saw from him how that is and how that's possible and how you can make a living of that. He used to be the first uh, oboe player of Califax, by the way. Ah, yeah. right, right. Yeah, yeah. your brother was uh, also a double reader, yeah? yeah? Yeah, 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 oboe player. Yeah, yeah okay, yeah. 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 Um, I'm just curious. I mean, like, um, so many musicians have the dream of uh, landing an orchestral job. Mm-hmm. Uh, for yourself, uh, why didn't you... Uh, go this traditional way uh, were you looking for something else perhaps I think I I think when I I remember even when I was applying for the conservatoire there was a question about would you like to study classical or pop or jazz music and I remember not even that I didn't even know what to fill in Funnily enough, so I was just so uh, uh, open to options that were available. I, I just, uh, I, I somehow felt that I was supposed to fill in classical music, but I was, you know, I was looking at it and hey, why, why do I need to fill this in? Later, of course, I, I understood and learned what, what a rich uh, classical tradition the bassoon stems from, but. From the very first moment on that I was in contact with a more and more or less uh, professional uh, environment, I had this uh, open mind towards other uh, ways of music making. And then, uh, yes, I did play in orchestras now and then, and I thought it was a fantastic uh, experience, by the way. Uh, nothing against it. Uh, it's a fantastic body of sound and so rich, and I, I love to do it now and then. But I must say the success of Califax, which came gradually, but we, as, I, as I said, we really started early, also sort of was in the way of uh, pursuing an uh, uh, orchestral musician career. 
I remember there was a point that we found out we had a concert, a small concert somewhere in the countryside in the Netherlands, and I, I told my colleagues um, that I had to, uh, that for this little concert that we did with Califax, I had um, put down a, a request for an orchestra gig for a whole week of work. And then we found out that we all had had the same situation. So we all had 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 to say no to an orchestra uh, gig just because we have this little concert. And that so we realized we all actually made quite a sacrifice to be able to do this little concert with Califax towards uh, yeah, and a sacrifice to, uh, to, towards all the uh, other careers that we at that time still had. And then when these occasions uh, happened more often, it, it was more and more clear that we we, uh, we we were drawn into the chamber music world. And the longer we uh, went in that direction, the more uh, paths towards the orchestra uh, music uh, were, were cut off. Because, you know, uh, after a while you're more busy in the first place, plus the orchestras don't call you anymore because <laughs> you, you, you never can play anyway. So it, j- it just uh, came gradually and, and we, we all uh, were drifted towards the chamber music. And I think, well, speaking for myself, I never uh, regretted that. Ah, so it was like a natural uh, evolution. Yes, yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I see, I see. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm also very drawn to um, chamber music. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was studying in Switzerland, I was always like the fixer, always organizing a group, right? Right, okay, cool. Yeah. And then in my professional life, that somehow came back, you know, so it, it is uh, quite, uh, yeah, funny to hear you speak of this, uh, this natural progression, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think things have changed a lot. I mean, back then it was uh, it was peculiar. Huh? Me as a student, not wanting to be a orchestra musician per se. But I think nowadays it's very normal that that kids, the students nowadays, they have so such a diverse uh, uh, background and also diverse uh, options of uh, or opinions on what they want to do in music. And speaking for the reed quintet, as we call our Califax a reed quintet, uh, consisting of five uh, reed players, um, we have also found out in the past years that there are many, many other groups starting in, uh, playing our music, and that's very satisfying. So I think f- for for many bassoonists, it always was an option to play the woodwind quintet, but uh, realizing now that there are more than 50 reed quintets around in the world, I think many bassoonists also, as a student, uh, uh, know that there's also the option to play in a reed quintet. And that's very exciting because um, not only Califax, but also other groups have proven that you can have a professional career in this in this field. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm really uh, interested to talk about um, starting an ensemble and how to maintain it, but maybe I'll come back to it a little bit mm-hmm. later. Mm-hmm. So I'm just wondering... Um, what does um, creativity mean to you? How how important is it to be creative <clears throat> as a musician? How important is it to be creative yeah. as a musician? Well, it very much depends on the environment you're making music in. I, for myself, creativity is is a. Um, it's a necessity to be uh, happy in my life and in music making. But everyone is different. I notice now uh, teaching also how different people are. And 
I just want to uh, uh, encourage that everyone finds its own his own uh, place. And uh, and some people are creative. Some people are uh, uh, shy. Some people. Are, I mean, you can be shy and creative as well at the same time, of course. But some people are uh, uh, leaders. Some people are followers. Some people are. Uh, quicker some people are slower and I, I think it's all fine and uh, as long as you have a good relationship with the other uh, the people around you and you accept each other's differences then you can uh, you can be successful also and it can be very satisfying but for me personally the creativity is just uh, a thing that makes me uh, happy as a human being rather than only being a musician so creativity can be anything I, i'm involved in so many things around the music making you know there's uh, nowadays there's so much which is important when you have an ensemble we have a uh, we have a very professional website with people doing the marketing for califax um, and you can do marketing in a very obvious way but you, that's for example a, a, a field that you can be very creative in and that can be very uh, rewarding we used uh, st w w longer time ago when 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 we did a a bit less concerts i had i spent a lot of time and before i had my daughter i must say <laughs> i spent a lot of time on all the things outside of the music making for califax so we had a like a newspaper which was like a almost like a newspaper and so all, even when it came out only three or four times a year i had fun and in, uh, in in presenting it as a newspaper uh, and people in, in in the classical music scene in the netherlands really enjoyed the, the, this this califax, as we called it, uh, making a pun on the fax part of califax, and um, and um, yeah, that, that, that I I could put a lot of creativity in how to present all that, also in writing and also in interviewing people and also in how it looked like, uh, all the, the the graphic design for it, um, and for me personally, that's very satisfying. But I wouldn't say to other people that you must do all. These kind of things. Uh, things. People are just so different. I hope you still hear me. I'm, I'm sitting uh, outside, as you know. I'm just telling your listeners. I'm sitting outside near my holiday home, and uh, it's a very quiet place, except for the occasional uh, airplane uh, flying over. Yeah, there's a. It's yeah. a good sign. There's an airplane flying. That means that things yes are getting no. back yes, to yes, normal. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I forgot to ask you. So, how how is the situation in the Netherlands now? I know that um, it, things are starting to get back to normal. How is it going? In terms of uh, COVID nineteen, you mean? Yeah, yeah. How's it going? Yeah, that's funny that you say you're happy to hear an airplane. I'm I'm very double about it <laughs> because <laughs> in a way I hate them. But yes, we need them. We need them to travel, especially as musicians, of course. Um, the situation is, is absolutely relaxing, I must say. We had a sort of semi-lockdown, semi uh, but I think the, the Dutch as a people have, have acted pretty good in general and uh, rather disciplined and we all understood what's, what we needed to do. So the, the emergency situation is over for a long time already. So this is a tricky situation, a tricky moment, interesting moment also. How do we get back to normal and to what kind of normal? And uh, well, uh, to be honest, uh, it's also a little bit depressing to see which part of the of the community are being supported by the government and which not. Uh, 
um, the arts are supported a little bit, I must say, but the government doesn't seem to see how big the arts are in the society. Also, in an in economic, um, from an economic point of view. Um, so, for example, the aviation industry gets a lot, a lot more support. Billions. And that's, uh, that's a bit frustrating, but it, it shows again that we have um, uh, a country and a government that is not per se interested in, in culture and in the arts. And I, normally, you know, in the past decades, I always tried to describe the, the, the quality of the arts and, and uh, uh, how important it is for society to have a lively uh, cultural life. I, I always try to describe it without the econ economic uh, uh, numbers behind it. But nowadays, you feel like you have to include that because that's what they, the politicians and all, think is important and even though we do that they still think it's not as crucial as air traffic and yes air traffic is important for for example but to my point of view not for people going to their summer holidays <laughs> and it's so incredibly cheap and they're so uh, it's so strange that there's not even a uh, uh, tax on the on the kerosene you know that kind of thing so cheap and uh, the flying is and unnecessarily cheap and, and it's very strange that it's that this COVID situation has not changed that so far i mean it may change in the future there are a few countries here in europe that um huh? there are some governments that gave very strict rules uh, for the for the for the financial help they gave to the aviation industry like becoming more sustainable and more green but that's a long way to go uh, that's a long answer i'm sorry about that but um, yeah, things are relaxing here, but also a bit frustrating. But it's, see, yeah. at the same time, it's also the summer holidays, you know. So it's a strange time also in that respect that uh, I can tell you how the situation is now, but I'm going on my holidays for two weeks uh, Sunday, and when I come back, things might have changed completely. Yeah, it's a very um, evolving, very fluid situation. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, here we had about two and a half months of uh, like a partial lockdown. Yeah, yeah. And then the, when they relaxed the measures, I remember I went out for dinner and I saw so many people sitting outside at the bar, right? Yeah, Without yeah. their masks. So I was, just, yeah. I was just counting. It was at least 20 people. So I was wondering in my head, why can't concerts go on? Yeah, know? I know. I know. Yeah. yeah. So, and they were all so close together. Uh, yeah. So, but now we have to wait until the next phase, which is phase three. So I yeah. don't know when that is. Yeah. No. no. Yeah. So um, coming back to music, um, I know that you have a great affinity for new music, right? Contemporary music. Yeah. You played an enormous long time in Cologne in Ensemble Music Fabrique, yeah? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, what do you enjoy uh, so much about new music? Well, again, I like all kinds of music. So, um, um, it's not that I prefer new music above uh, more traditional music, but I think it's it's just... I mean, there's one clear benefit that it's so interesting to actually work with composers. And this also has influenced, I think, my approach towards more classical music because I, I, I have been in so many occasions uh, that composers would change their score 
during rehearsals or in between rehearsals. And this is not only for the for the lesser known or lesser experienced composers, but also I remember working a whole week with Karl Heinz Stockhausen, and he would uh, we would work for a day and. In the evening, he would make corrections, and the next day there would be a new score with some uh, adaptations to, uh, um, from the day before. And so, and that was very interesting to see because um, you realize that a composer has an idea and he almost always changes his or her mind uh, after the first rehearsal. And uh, this approach towards changing the, the notes in the score, especially knowing why they are changed and what abstract idea there is behind uh, a score uh, and that sometimes you need, need to radically, uh, radically change the score in order to have this uh, abstract idea conceived. That was interesting to learn and that's, that's also a thing that helps me and us in Califax to, to be very free and... Uh, um, very creative in uh, the arrangements that we make. Mm. So you have seen a direct um, impact, like on your improvisation and and performance from working with uh, composers. Yeah, improvisation also. Yeah, but but what I say the 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 the, the how strict you approach a score. Um, I, I approach it a, a lot less strict than <laughs> because of my experiences with all the composers who change their notes, their own notes. And it's, it's their notes then, so they do it. But I've seen it so many times that I sometimes not think when I see a score of a composer who's dead for many decades or many uh, centuries, I think, hey, if we transcribe this to a Califax uh, arrangement, then we don't... We don't want to distribute, for example, if you have a keyboard piece, we don't want to distribute all the notes that I see in the score over the instruments. No, we want to go one step back and try to have an opinion on the more abstract idea that a composer has for a piece. And he, or she, or mostly he, at that time, choose the keyboard as a medium to express this abstract idea in. But if we want to express it in the reed quintet, you know, five independent voices, uh, you can have a wider range. Um, then it's interesting to go back to this original, more abstract idea, so to speak. It's far more interesting and more creative than just distributing the notes that you see in a piano score. Yeah, yeah, I think that's so so interesting when you talk about programming for uh, concerts or for albums and, and all this. So mm-hmm. I was really interested, like, um, when you <coughs> talk about Califax, like... Um, like who leads the group, or do you all decide on programming decision? How does it work? All right. Uh, well, um, we have established a way of working that I think really works well. We have a monthly meeting of uh, three hours, in which we try to talk only about art- artistic things. Of course, there are always other. There's always other stuff, but we try to keep this outside of this uh, three hours. So. Of course, we have different other meetings. But in these uh, artistic meetings, we are always developing a repertoire. And sometimes that's short-term, like uh, in half a year, we have this concert there and they request a special theme or um, or there's a, a festival that wants us to perform a piece by a certain composer. That, that, that's all short-term. But always, we're permanently also looking much uh, further ahead in the future. Uh, for example, we just finished our 21-22 uh, 
season offer, which is we still do it in print on paper, <laughs> so uh, so that people actually see what we're offering for that season. And I think the 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 five or five programs that are in this offer, they are the result of a process that almost took took half a year. So let's say six of these meetings. So it's a constant uh, changing, choosing, uh, adapting of programs, and we're all five involved in that. In the end, it's mostly so that uh, one of us is uh, like the leader of a certain program idea, but he would al always ask for feedback from all the four others and, and uh, yeah, to help. To help. Uh, and he would always ask the others to help him to get to the next step, to the next level, and to maybe have, a, have an interesting... Uh, a new composition uh, commission that fits to the theme or to uh, to think of a early music uh, uh, arrangement that uh, fits to the theme so we need each other's uh, uh, knowledge about repertoire and also we need each other's uh, critical uh, minds about uh, is this really a good idea and you know because we start the, the conversation with uh, sometimes 35 or 40 programs but we know we have to bring this down to only five. So that's a, that's a good process to to, uh, to filter out the best ones. I see. Yeah, I mean, I really like the, um, the diverse uh, range of programs you have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Some are really very imaginative. For example, the, the ones for the children's concerts, you know, the, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the Music Factory, right? This one? Right, right. Yeah, yeah I really like that. That was so... Um, I think it, it was performed without any words, right? Am I right? Or that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. We've played yeah. it. Uh, we've played it more than hundred times, which is quite a thing for uh, yeah. in classical music to do a show more than hundred times, and it's without words. And it's but it's very theatrical. Um, but being it without words, we, we could do it anywhere. So we've we've been doing it in China and in uh, uh, well, that's the furthest away. That's so and and many other countries. And Germany, well, many countries in, in Europe, plus in China, I think. So, and it's it's just uh, wonderful to see how how kids um, uh, enjoy the, the the music, regardless of um, of how much they know about music. Yeah. Then you also had uh, hidden gems, right? Oh. Hidden gems is not a, a family program. That's that's like a, yeah. an album that we had. Yeah, and, and and also then uh, became a, a concert program, but it was actually first an album, and it's, I think that was the 18th CD that we recorded, um, and the idea behind it came because, you know, on an album you want to mostly be a bit more uh, focusing on either one composer or one piece sometimes a theme but it's mostly a bit more strict and a bit more uh focusing than a concert program in a concert program mm. you want to be very diverse and on an album you want to be you want it's like a cataloging a certain part of your repertoire so we had been doing many cds on one specific composer or piece and then we realized that it's a pity that there are so many jewels of uh, in the repertoire uh that we have uh, played in, in the decades before that would never come to a CD because they are short and very diverse and they would never fit in a in the theme for one complete album. So we thought, let's make one album that really contains just the, the hidden gems of our repertoire. And, that, and so we made it a theme by itself, so to speak. And in mm -hmm. a way, um, 
it makes sense that that also became a concert program because, as I said, it is as diverse as we normally want a, a concert program to be. So, do you have any tips, like, um, like for example, like when you start to conceptualize an album program, right? Like, mm-hmm. at what point do you know that okay, this will this will succeed, or like because as you say, there's a difference between concert program and album program, right? Mm-hmm. But you also have to release the album, so you also have to do it in concert. Mm-hmm. So yeah. how can we connect the two? There's a there's a difficulty there, you know. There's some yeah. yeah for example, yeah. if you look at our, one of our more successful albums, if you look at the album um, that we made on uh, Jean Philippe Rameau, it's one of the more successful uh, CDs that we made uh, almost ten years ago, I think, roughly. Um, that's a perfect uh, album that both. Uh, works well as an album it's all dedicated to Rameau but it has three major pieces on it plus a small piece an extra piece and each of these pieces can easily uh, be a part of a concert program which is much more diverse so if we in some programs would include a baroque piece then it would be for example one of these suites by Rameau and then at that concert where we play also contemporary music and whatever romantic music we would sell, of course, the, the Rameau CD a lot in the intermission and afterwards. Ah, in that way. Okay, mm. I see. So in the in the concert, you don't really have to play the entire album repertoire. No, no, no. of course not. It's no, no, impossible. No, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. Well, so, ah. Sometimes we do, like like the Goldberg Variations, that's that's a piece that we do completely uh, as, a, as a complete thing, like a, a half concert, 40 minutes, yeah, because we I play see, it without okay. repeats. I see, I see. Yeah, I really love that Goldberg uh, album. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. I listened to it uh, several times, I think, on a Sunday afternoon. And mm. It's quite a delight yeah, to listen to it. Yeah. 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 So, um, I'm just wondering, in, in the beginning years, when you were growing as an ensemble, what were the mm-hmm. biggest challenges that y- you guys faced? Could you tell us some of it? Yeah. Like, you, well, the, you had to... Th- yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think in our beginning years, and then we're talking about the 90s, classical music was still much more traditional than it's right now. We're talking about almost uh, 30 years ago. So uh, we have been doing a lot of work as in uh, opening up festivals and and, uh, venues towards um, what you can program. And uh, I remember that in the beginning years we were when we were programmed, uh, because some presenters would just like the group, we were mostly presented as the odd one out, you know, in a series or in a festival, the odd uh, uh, act or the odd ensemble. And we were. We were the first read quintets, so we were different, um, not only in the instrumentation, but also because of the fact we play standing up, we talk to our audience, we want to be very communicative. I'm talking about this now, sounds a bit... uh, old-fashioned because we don't need to tell this to uh, contemporary musicians anymore. It's so much everyday uh, uh, business to do these kind of things. But back then, that was that was all quite new. And many venues didn't like it, but other venues were really looking for new ways of presenting classical music. So that's, I think, where we had to find our way and to, to find our uh, uh, specific uh, 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 venues that that, that um, wanted to invest in us also. And there was one uh, uh, person in Amsterdam, Jan Wolf, who 
really helped us for many years and gave us many concerts, you know, and we were still students, so we didn't have that many concerts, but it kept us going. And this phase when you're not having a <clears throat> full-time or not even half-time professional career, but you're also not students anymore, that phase is tricky because all five members have their other things, you know, and their orchestra gigs here and their other ensembles. And that's a moment that you can easily fall apart. But we kept together just because we had always enough to look forward to and to keep, uh, to keep investing in. And I think it has been a big uh, luck for us that we stayed together for such a long time because um, uh, uh, we, we invested uh, also in, literally in the way of music making. You know, when we, uh, 20 years ago when we recorded The, the Art of Fugue by Johann Sebastian Bach, we uh, didn't feel very secure about playing that repertoire on our contemporary instruments. So we had a lot of lessons from early music experts like Frans Bruggen, um, and other people in the Netherlands, uh, Sigurd Kuiken, and their way of talking about articulation, about phrasing, are still audible in our way of playing uh, today, I think. So it's very, uh, 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 it's, it's a big treasure for us that we all had these experience together. Hmm. Yeah, it's uh, so, um, how do you say, um it's quite very inspiring to listen to because I imagine as a young group you had to fight many of your battles, right? To mm -hmm. to be uh, presented in this festival or this concert call, yeah. right? Yeah. You had to build yeah. a reputation for yourself, right? Yeah. Well, the good thing is I think now even more than back then, uh, many festivals and venues want to like to present something new, something special. And even though the reed quintet as a genre is not as new as it was back then. I think in many countries it still is. And uh, apart from that, also uh, how you define your repertoire, how you present your music can be uh, uh, just this, this, this little bit of extra that people like to present to their audiences. Mm, yeah, yeah. I was wondering, like, wasn't it difficult to finance this quintet? I mean, you had to... Um, finance commissions and arrangements and you make sure everyone was paid like yeah. how how do you do it i mean in the beginning no. right? yeah in the beginning we didn't <laughs> <laughs> we, we didn't pay so much no that's very true and uh well i i've said before um that nowadays that uh the dutch government is not very supportive towards the arts but i must say uh it has been a lot better and in the years that califax grew uh we were supported in different ways, uh, not, not, not directly, uh, that came later, but I remember also there was a, a thing called the Dutch Chamber Music Meeting, which was like 15 years ago, maybe. Well, often these things are a bit longer, longer ago than you think. But yeah, maybe it was 20 years ago. Um, and that, that, that was fantastic. And if you're looking back on it, wow, what, what a money must have been spent and invested in the arts. It was like this. It was a weekend full of Dutch chamber music in Amsterdam. And 40 or 50 presenters from all over the world were flown in, were invited to listen to, uh, I think, 20 or 25 showcases by Dutch ensembles. And that's, uh, that's a fantastic way of connecting music to presenters, to important presenters. It was also people from the press, but mostly presenters and agents. 
And it just happened to be uh, a good day for us. We had a good venue, we had good repertoire, we had a good spot in the, in the day, you know, not too early, not too late. And we had a little extra uh, performance in a museum, which was in a gallery, which was uh, just a nice, uh, nice moment of the day. And we had such good reception and that really make, gave a boost to our international career. But these kind of things, like this chamber music meeting back then, that is a very costly thing to organize. And at least in the Netherlands, they don't they don't do that kind of thing anymore. Ah. But but th- th- this is long ago, more than twenty years ago. And uh, well, yeah, back then there was there was uh, a good uh, investment. Uh, that was clearly a good sign of how how important investment in music can be because it gave such a boost to our career. And um, yeah, we're, we're still benefiting uh, uh, from that weekend because a few presenters and agents, uh, well, presenters mainly in the U.S., for example, who were there, they were still they're still inviting us. So I can only encourage uh, governments or whoever is responsible to uh, our funders to to keep investing in these kind of things. So it was like a showcase, a musical showcase. Absolutely, yeah. yes. Wow. Yes. And every ensemble or every musician needs this kind of jumping boards in their career. And for some people, it comes early. For some people, it comes late. But this was for us. At, at uh, I mean, we had quite a name already back then in the Netherlands. But to make this jump to a more international career, that was uh, crucial for us. Yes. So, means to say that um, the success came relatively easy? Is that all right to say? Or... It came slow. Slow, huh? It came slow, but but yeah, relatively easy. I, I, that's hard to say looking back on such a long time. Gradually, uh, gradually. Yeah. yeah, I think I think part of the success, uh, uh, an important factor of the success, is that we were patient mm. and that we had enough other things to do, and that we. Yeah, we were young and we didn't have families and, and uh, expensive housings like nowadays uh, to take care of. So we didn't need much and we just enjoyed what we did. And it's, as long as you can stay in that phase as a group, I think you're, you're just investing, investing in your own future. I see, I see. It takes a lot of uh, faith and uh, persistence, I, I think. No? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Did yeah. you have to work in a, in a day job, for example, take up a teaching job at the same time that Califax was trying to make a name for itself? I never did. Yeah. I never did. Oh. Some others did, uh, some teaching, more teaching, yeah. But as a bassoonist, I was always working, actually. Mm-hmm. Also in orchestras, uh, just as an extra. Mm-hmm. But um, so I, I hardly ever did anything besides <laughs> playing the bassoon uh, for making a living. Huh, I think that's uh, I know that's a very that's a very uh, luxury position. Yeah. So I'm just wondering. I feel very privileged. Yeah, as an ensemble, like when if you have um, difference in opinions or some kind of um, conflict, how how do you uh, get around it? How do you deal with it? Um, I would, yeah, we, we've, we've come a long way to find ways to, to deal with that, uh, I must say. And um, for me personally, uh, an approach that helps is if you say to yourself, just pick your battles. Mm-hmm. If one program or one specific part of your music making is very important for you, 
just stand for that and give others uh, their uh, credit for their wishes. And if your wishes are not on the same field, then try to be uh, uh, respectful to each other. And if yeah, I want to keep this conversation as, as abstract as possible. Uh, well, you know what I mean? Uh, no, <laughs> not that I don't want to mention uh, things within Califax, but it can be about uh, interpretation, it can be about a repertoire, it can be about what countries you want to uh, tour in, it can be about uh, whether you want to invest still financially in the future or that you think it's finally time to harvest, I want to be paid better myself, all these kinds of conversations. <clears throat> I mean, two people always have a different opinion anyway, so how about five? Uh, so you have to cope with that. And my way of surviving is to pick my battles and to think this is really important for me. And if my colleagues find or uh, uh, find out that I'm very uh, cooperative to their crucial battles, then they're more likely to give in in, in, my, uh, in things that are very important to me. Yeah, yeah. Recently, I've been, um, uh, how do you say, exploring this concept of working out loud. Do you know this? Yeah. Like, um, um, for example, we work in small teams of about four or five people. Mm -hmm. And then it's like an accountability partner, you know, like a jogging partner. Mm -hmm. But for mm -hmm. artists, right? So we, we meet every week on a Tuesday evening. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we talk about our goals and we try to encourage but challenge each other. Mm -hmm. So I th But we are all um, all over the world. But I think that's similar to of like being in a collective, well, right, yeah. some semblance of it. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah. So, uh, I mean, um, how did you do all these touring plans? I mean, pre-COVID-19, did you have a booking agent uh, to help yep. you do that? or? Yep, wow. yeah, yeah. That's also partly a result of this uh, this um, weekend that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. This uh, showcase weekend. Um, that uh, shortly after that we had an uh, an agent in London who did international bookings. Then after our first uh, tour in the US, uh, we had a, a a different agency for for Northern America. And now, since a few years, we also have an agent in Berlin for. Uh, the German-speaking part of, uh, of uh, Europe. Mm. So roughly speaking, that's the situation now. We do our bookings in the Netherlands ourselves, and abroad we have three different uh, agents doing uh, their own territory. And again, that feels like a, a big uh, privilege to have these. Yeah, I will. And we can only hope, and we can only hope that this will uh, re revive after the COVID uh, period. Yeah, I mean, there, there's so many interesting things I, I read in your book. It's impossible to talk all. I mean, about all topics. And uh, <laughs> yeah, you must you must tell your audience that it's not my book. <laughs> it's not me who wrote it. Huh? You, you mean the book on Califax, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. This, yeah, yeah. this book. Here, no, not that people here. think that I I wrote a book. Ah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. by Alexa Bolmeyer. Yeah. Bolmeyer. Yeah? yeah, absolutely. Yeah. On course, your 30th yeah. anniversary, right? Yeah, with uh, mm -hmm. really mm -hmm. nice portraits. Uh, but mm -hmm. also summary of the different um, periods, right, or the eras, or yeah, yeah. yeah. So some yeah. something very interesting is I I noticed that um, I think that all of you memorize your scores. Yeah. 
Sometimes, mostly? Yeah, some projects. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, 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 not mostly. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, it, used to, it used to be a big thing. Oh, uh, yeah? Again, we, uh, when we just 10 minutes ago, when we spoke about investing in the future of your ensemble, yeah. that was a thing we, that, that we did a lot, uh, like 20 years ago, uh, memorizing pieces. And I thought that was a great uh, achievement for the group. I mean, you come such a, on such a higher level of music making, but it's, it's very time consuming, especially if you have such a bad memory as myself. I mean, some musicians are very easy with it and, and I really have to learn and to be very disciplined about it. And, and I have to, yeah, I have to spend a lot of time on it. Um, but I must say it's a fantastic investment in, in your group. Um, there are many tricks to, to give more depth to your music making, but this is clearly one of the most uh, crucial ones. And we did, we did do that quite a bit, and that was part of the time that we really invested a lot of time in, uh, in Califax as a group, and I think we still benefit from that also. And we sometimes come back on it. One of the big projects that was cancelled for, for because of the COVID-19 uh, was a project we were going to do in the Netherlands called Califax in Scene. Um, and it was with a stage director or choreographer, she's sort of both, and um, we would play the whole um, uh, American in Paris by George Gershwin, uh, in an arrangement by Raaf Hekema, our saxophone player. We would play that from memory and some Jesualdo madrigals and uh, the Tierkreis uh, by Karlheinz Stockhausen. Um, and that was going to be uh, finally a big project that we were going to play from memory again, but that was uh, postponed. But I had started uh, learning it, so that was, uh, I have invested in it already uh, a bit. Yeah. What is the difference what, that the memorization makes, do you think, the impact on the audience? Or? Well, I, the audience likes uh, the fact that we are much more communicative because we are watching each other or the audience instead of the notes, of course, on, on your music stand. But for myself, it's also interesting that I always find that I hear more. Obviously, I'm, I'm less concerned without, uh, about my own notes because I have them so much in my system, I can do it almost automatically. And I have, I, have so, I have so much more memory space, so to speak, to, to listen to the other uh, groups, uh, sorry, to the other instruments. Plus, I also noticed that, um, um, that pieces always l seem to last shorter hmm. when I play them from memory. I've, I've have had this always. When I memorize a piece and then we play it again, then I think, huh? Is that all? Feels like half as long as it used to be. And I think that's interesting because, you know, uh, how you experience time is, is a very flexible thing. And I think if you're having a good time, then time flies, you know, as the expression says. And I think this is uh, showing that you're having a better time when you're, when you're actually playing from memory. I'm so much more involved in the whole process and also in the other voices that I forget time. That's why it feels like uh, things are shorter. Could it be that you are more present that in the moment that you know you're soaking in every every bit of the moment? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <coughs> yeah, totally, yeah, yeah. Well, so um, I was just wondering, like you, you have collaborated with the uh, Eric Floymans uh, for about two mm -hmm. times, right, for the mm -hmm. the albums, yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, 
on the latest album, uh, Daido and Aeneas. Uh, why did the group decide to reinvite him on this album? Well, uh, Eric Fluemans is an extraordinary trumpet player. He has a velvet sound. Um, and very much like a singer. It's, it's an incredible, expressive uh, trumpet player. And he's a very lovable guy, I must say. And um, this project was about the, the, the reinventing. It's, it's, uh, so Raaf made the arrangement for this, and he didn't call it an arrangement. He said he recomposed the, the Dido and Aeneas by Purcell. And uh, Raaf himself has a background in jazz also. So, and it's interesting that he took uh, the, the Purcell for this because uh, I think this early Baroque music is very much about uh, uh, a bass line with chords on it, uh, chord progressions, and that's how jazz is organized as well. So um, I think uh, he made a good choice there. And then we didn't only invite Eric Luhmans, but also a bass player and a, a drummer. So that, uh, that really uh, made a complete new uh, uh, flavor to the to the music as we know it it's it's uh, it's very interesting i think many people who know it well uh they, they need uh, a little while to recognize it it's so different and it's so uh, it has such a different flavor flavor uh, not only for the new notes that raaf added but also for the fact that there's a uh, drums and bass and uh yeah i thought it was very successful how he sort of recomposed the whole thing uh, yes, do you mind uh, telling us some of the concerts or projects that brought you the most uh, joy and satisfaction? Uh, well, yeah, th that's an easy question because I immediately think of a project we just did with um, with the Mariniers Capel, which you mentioned earlier, a very famous uh, wind orchestra here in the Netherlands. And with them, we did a big new piece by uh, Johan de May. Do you know him, the composer Johan de May? Ah, yes, he's very, very well known in Asia, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. he's a big name, especially in, in the world of the wind orchestras. Yeah. And, and, and strangely enough, it took us a very long time uh, to realize that in all those, uh, all those wind orchestras, there is a reed quintet. Oh. I mean, every wind orchestra has has lots of uh, clarinets, plenty of um, saxophones, of course, but also oboes and bassoons and bass clarinets. So, um, and there are thousands of them worldwide. And um, also it's, it's a bit strange that uh, the world of the wind orchestra and the chamber music, our world, sort of is, is, a, is a separated, there are separated worlds, aren't they? The, I think the wind orchestras is more a world of uh, non-professionals uh, for, for a big uh, part, which is great. Um, and it's a lot about community and about doing competitions. Um, and yeah, and the chamber music on the other side is somehow more uh, uh, maybe an intellectual or more uh, elite kind of thing, which we don't want it to be. Um, so uh, we thought this is a great opportunity to... Uh, uh, to get more uh, of a connection of those two worlds, especially because there are so many reed quintets in those in those wind orchestras. Well, realizing that, we thought we must ask Johan de May to write a piece because he is the man to combine those two worlds. We thought, 
So we did contact him, I think, three years ago. I did know him from when he lived in Amsterdam uh, many years ago. He lives in the United States now. And um, we asked him to, to make a piece, make a big piece uh, for Califax and Wind Orchestra. And he obviously he has a big network also in, in the world of the Wind Orchestra. So he, he did connect us to the Marinierskapel, the, the, this orchestra of the Dutch Marines. And uh, Johan uh, composed a fantastically uh, big piece, a concerto grosso for the Reed Quintet and, and, uh, and the orchestra. It's called Un Momento Dado, and um, we've just worked on it. We, we premiered it, and it was a tremendous experience and, and a, a fantastic way, I think, to bring those two worlds together. Yeah, yeah, I was also playing in a wind band for, for quite a few years. I know what you mean, yeah, yeah. exactly this, yeah. yeah. So we hope to do this many more times, not only with the professional orchestras, but also with the thousands and thousands of, of winter orchestras uh, of non-professional uh, uh, background um, that are existing everywhere, I think also in Asia, but also in Europe and in the, uh, North and South America. Mm, I see, I see. Uh, I think it's and it's. I think it's also worth uh, mentioning that I think Johan de May made a very smart piece because uh, obviously you might have a big balance problem with uh, the big orchestra and then the reed quintet, ah. and that's the reason why it's, it's more like a concerto grosso. Uh, so he's alternating passages between the orchestra and the quintet, and sometimes bringing them together in in a very very smart way. I think. Plus, uh, one last thing, which is maybe nice to tell about uh, the piece, is it's, it's called Un Momento Dado, and it's, uh, that's a Spanish title, and it's, it's a reference to uh, Johan Cruyff, the, the football player. Ah, yeah, the legend, right? The, the football mm -hmm. legend. Yeah. Uh, well, and Cruyff, uh, he worked a lot in Spain, and that's where the, the Spanish title comes from. Well, th there's, uh, there's a lot to tell about. But anyway, uh, I think it's very nice that... that um, the piece brings together uh, many qualities of, of Dutch life. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Do you know I, I supported the, the Dutch team when they played <laughs> oh. in the South Africa? <laughs> it, in what way yeah. did you support them? I was uh, wearing all orange and, oh. <laughs> and I had the orange wuvuzela. So. Oh, really? <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was, that was a fun time. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, I just have, uh, I watched your TED talk where you, you were speaking to the mm. audience mm -hmm. and you were assembling the, all the instruments, right? Starting from mm -hmm. the reed. Mm -hmm. I think towards the end, I think you said something about um, making one's dreams come true, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, about having big dreams and, and going after them, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean... The music industry is so competitive and very cutthroat, right, as you know. I'm sorry? So, I, I mean, like, uh, for example, people want to succeed at any cost. So oh, yeah. They, yeah. They, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So, so, in the sense that if you have a big dream for yourself, right, and you have a lot of ambition, then how, how can you um, make them come true do you have some advice for musicians because you you said that um, you remember this quote that only the best string quartets can tour the world right yeah 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 that's what my teach. Uh, that's what my teacher told me when I told him that it was my dream to to, to tour the world with Califax like like a, a good string quartet does 
And, and well, it, it's true. We are very fortunate. I know that. So it is a dream come true that we we can make a living of uh, uh, making chamber music only, and that's um, very exceptional, I think, and and we cherish that. Um, by the way, what you mentioned about the um, uh, the TED talk, uh, this assembling the instruments, I think that's a good example of. Uh, creativity and how we try to stimulate each other's uh, creativity because um, we came to this piece when we made a, a family program many years ago um, and we were just trying out many things and at some point uh, at some point we uh, I had an idea to start make, uh, making music on the reeds and just adding parts of uh, the instruments one by one so that the instruments get bigger and you can play lower notes more notes and Then the boy said, okay, nice idea. Why don't you make a composition of it? Oops <laughs> So I did but that that was a big puzzle, um, but a nice one and I, I uh, That was a good challenge and then um, it, it came about uh, one of the pieces that we played the most actually in the, in the past years because it can be played in uh, in many circumstances, in many educational circumstances. Uh, but that, I think that that makes a good example of that we stimulate each other in in each other's uh, creativity. Mm. Mm. So, um, have you had any thoughts? Um, like, what do you think? Like post COVID nineteen, what do you think? Do you think the music industry would change dramatically? Oh yeah, that's that's quite a question, isn't it? Um, that's so difficult to say anything sensible about it, as as since since everything is changing all the time. And um, yeah, I can tell a, a little bit about our our experiences. Um, um, we have. Um, been doing some web premieres, so streaming old content that we had, or uh, uh, video registrations of concerts that we had. That, that was that was good and interesting, and we reached uh, some people uh, with it. But I must say, the whole uh, the whole idea of uh, doing streaming concerts was, to my taste, not not very satisfying. I mean, streaming real live concerts. Um, uh, and it's, it's yeah, it's just not the real thing. Plus, um, I have, uh, from a professional perspective, I have some difficulties with it because so many musicians, uh, professional musicians, have been doing their job, but uh, um, not uh, were not being paid for it, and that's a situation that w we maybe shouldn't uh, create, if you know what I mean. Mm, yeah. Um, Maybe one good thing about the, the stream, the online concerts and uh, online things is, is that we and audiences also uh, do realize that we do need live music and how, how special it is that music is created live in the moment on the sp in the space where you are. Um, um, I hope that that, that, um, that vision uh, is a thing that, that many people uh, learn from, from, from this, uh, this time. And yeah, for the future, I think we we might be doing uh, quite a few concerts with uh, uh, concerts with uh, smaller audiences. We have been doing this already, and that's that's yeah, it's a little bit strange. But sometimes it really works well if you can, despite the distance that people need to take. If if you can create some sort of intimacy, then it's just 
just fine. I mean, then we're making chamber music as, as we like it, as we want it to be. Very intimate and very direct in touch with not too big an audience. Yeah, I mean, for for me, I personally, I, I, I think that chamber music will make a comeback because of the restrictions uh, mm -hmm. posed. Mm -hmm. And of course, that you can't feel as many people in the hall, so it makes more sense to pre present a smaller chamber concert. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, well, in a way, we are much better off than, than, than a symphony orchestra, of course. Uh, I mean, we are very small, very flexible, and um, if you look at uh, Amsterdam, where we are based, we have the Concertgebouw, the Concertgebouw Orchestra, and the fantastic venue they have. The Concertgebouw takes 2,000 people normally, and I've heard that if they do concerts now, that they can have only, and, and they follow all the measures, that they can have only 300 or 350 or 50, uh, people audience. And that's financially not very uh, viable, I guess. And um, yeah, um, so many orchestras are going towards chamber music also. Um, uh, and I think we as a group are, are very, very flexible with, and also we come to, uh, on new uh, venues, I must say. There, there are new locations that are being tried out. And so uh, people, presenters, and but also music lovers are very creative about what we can do. That, that's one good side. Uh, side of the whole situation yeah and as far as the the upcoming season is i think i've heard we've had only two cancellations and at the same time many um many presenters ask us to to change the program such a way that we play without intermission so uh, like 60 70 minutes in one go which means the audience uh, audience comes in enjoys the music and goes out, goes home. Which still is very sad in a way because we're missing out on the on the social aspect of an evening yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah. at least the, the concerts uh, seem to be happening, yes. So do you mind telling us, uh, are there some uh, future plans uh, for Califax? I, I've seen that you have some concerts lined up, right? Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it looks good at, at the moment <laughs> so far. I mean, we've had many, many cancellations, of course, in, in the spring. <coughs> but um, for the upcoming season, it looks like we had only two. But... Um, yeah, let me... Uh, let me. Well, there are two big projects I'm looking forward to. Uh, uh, especially in the fall and that is um, the concerts that we do uh, around our 35th anniversary anniversary as a group yeah yeah Califax is, is turning uh, 35 and we have a uh, nice concerts in which we all program uh, one piece each of us each of the musicians program one piece and we have a nice little video clip made in which this person introduces that piece of his choice but there's also uh, as part of the the anniversary we also have a new album coming out which is the 20th uh, album or cd of Califax coming out it's uh, dedicated to Johann Sebastian Bach it's uh, Bach's musical offerings as we call it because it has the musicalisches opera on it the musical offering and also the vom Himmelhoch variations oh. so yeah that, that's an that's an exciting um, moment uh, always to have a new album out of course and we have a very nice uh, little tour, uh, or quite a serious tour, in the Netherlands, um, playing this repertoire and presenting this, uh, this new album. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I really enjoyed uh, speaking to you, and I read about the funny um, anecdote, right? When you you went to Aberdeen with the quintet, right? And then there was this uh, there was this airline baggage crisis, right? Hmm? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was so. Uh, I mean, it sounded so disastrous, but you managed to turn it around, right? What what happened uh, exactly? Oh dear, let me think. That was a while ago. Um, yeah. But in the end, the story is, is, is another example, I think, of, of, uh, of creativity. Yeah. It was maybe 15 years ago or so, and uh, there w- it was a time that there was this uh, uh, higher terrorist uh, threat in the UK. So there was a lot of security uh, at the airports, and we knew that. And just um, for that reason, for once, we had a flight case to put our instruments in, which we normally never do. Yeah. And um, there was a stopover in London, but anyway, in Amsterdam we put we had a flight case for the bigger instruments, and I remember at least the bass clarinet and the saxophone were in there, and <coughs> I think Oliver, the oboe player, also put his instruments in there, thinking, you know, if the case doesn't arrive, we we don't have a concert anyway, so I'll put my instrument there as well. Plus, he did also all his sheet music. Huh. Um, then, indeed, uh, the, 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 the flight case did not arrive and the presenters of the, it was the BB, it was a BBC Three live uh, radio uh, broadcast concert in Aberdeen and they really did everything to convince us to, to do something, to play something, which we did in the end. So they had, uh, um, they found a bass clarinet, they found an oboe and a saxophone and um, but the problem was also that we didn't have the all the sheet music for the oboe, oboe player so what we did we played the whole Mozart C minor uh, serenade from memory which we had done just before but Oliver the oboe player played a few other pieces also on the concert from memory um, without having prepared it and that's uh, <laughs> that's a thing not everyone can do but 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 he is like that. He he just memorizes music while while playing it, um, and then playing on a lone instrument. Um, and well, uh, luckily, of course, the, the the presenter of the of the concert uh, told the audience and also the listener on the radio what what happened, and so we felt very much supported by everyone in in the hall. But uh, I must say, the whole thing was quite stressful. Uh, but we made it to a good, uh, a good concert and, and uh, a good uh, end of the whole situation. <laughs> yeah, and I also remember the next day when we flew back to Amsterdam, when we came on the airport, we saw the flight case and it was still on the Amsterdam airport. So we actually could take our instruments back straight away. It's incredible, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if you could um, I'd say like, some piece of uh, advice or what have been some of the lessons you have learned? I mean, I'm Mm -hmm. sure people would love to hear some of your lessons Mm -hmm. that you've Mm -hmm. learned. Uh, Well, with Carnifax, I think um, we we always stayed close to what we want, what we really want. And we also um, invested time in ourselves, in the group, to define that, to find out what you as a group really want, what's your vision, what's, what your, are your goals musically, but also personally, in terms of your career, 
Um, and I think if I think of advice, what has been fruitful for, for us in the past 20 years is that like 20 years ago, we started um, really uh, making time for that. So since then, we've had yearly sessions, uh, mostly of two days, in which we just came together, talk about a specific topic, either the vision of the group or personal relationships and or things that needed to be be developed and thought through. And often we would invite specialists, uh, outsiders, uh, to, to uh, people to, to help us uh, get the conversation uh, in a good direction. And um, well, th this has been good for the group uh, and has certainly played a role in, in how we managed to, to stay together. And uh, well, I see it as, a, as, a, as an investment in the group that's, that's, I think, very important. And I think if you can combine uh, this self-investigation that I just mentioned with, with, uh, with patience in your career, then I think uh, you have a good opportunity to make a, a happy career and to, mm. yeah, to be happy as a group and as uh, individuals. So, okay. I see. So self-awareness and also uh, some maybe coaching on the side. Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. combined with uh, patience, I must ah, say. Patience yeah. and persistence, yeah? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Okay, so uh, coming to my last few questions. All uh, right. This is a fun question, don't worry. <laughs> I know that you are a world uh, traveler. You have visited Singapore too, right? Yes, so in 2013. Yeah, so um, which is your favorite airport in the world, do you mind? <laughs> oh, uh, oh dear, the, the <laughs> smallest, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm not very fond of air airports uh, and of flying. Well, well the, my favorite was not really an airport, but was an airstrip that I've been in, that was 2007. Uh, I made a, a, a big trip to Tanzania with uh, it was for my 40th birthday and I went there for two weeks with uh, my seven best friends which was a great uh, event of course and I remember that the at the end of this trip I needed to start preparing for the next uh, Califax uh, concert which was in in Estonia in Tallinn Tallinn Estonia and um, I had a friend, a horn player friend, who also needed to, to be in shape again. So <laughs> I remember a scene that we were sitting at this airstrip, which was basically nothing more than a strip of land and a little hut to give some shadow. And that my friend, he had some exercises for uh, uh, get, getting your embouchure, embouchure back on track. And um, we were doing all those exercises. And that was an unforgettable moment, especially because of the, the person from the the airstrip, he, he asked us to stop. He was not amused. He, he thought we would terribly disturb the, the elephants and the, and the giraffes. Ah. And so <laughs> that w I, I think that was my, my favorite. But as you guess, uh, it was also my favorite because it's just, uh, it was the smallest. Yeah. The smaller, the better for me. I see, I see. Once I was doing re-exercises and my flatmates thought that I was in trouble <laughs> or something. Yes, of course. Oh, I can, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I know that you have a flair for for words, and you used to work in the student newspaper, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is a a quote、uh, you said that I could have perhaps become a journalist. Do you think that if you weren't a musician, you will be a journalist?、Uh, I re- I remember me saying that.、Uh, that's in the book, right? Yes.、Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I'd love to to be an in. Yeah, maybe an inventor as well. I, I, I can see that creativity is needed in in so many fields, and、uh, we I think we as a group have shown that that in the music creativity is such an important thing. And um, and um, well, the world as we know it today needs a lot of.、Uh, we need a lot of innovations, don't we? In in terms of having a cleaner world, in terms of sustainability, and well. Sometimes I think I, I would love to be able to spend more time on on, on that and take part in in creative、uh, solutions that are hopefully coming to us. Wonderful. Okay, so I have one last question, and I let you go because I know you're on your holidays. So yeah, yeah, sure. I I used to live in、uh, Holland, Netherlands, right? The proper name now.、Eh? Mm-hmm. So if I were to return to Amsterdam, like after so many years. Which local cafe should I go? That's only known by the locals. Okay, okay, okay.、Um, <laughs> well, well, yeah. I think of a place n- not far from my place, actually, from where I live. It's it's very near the Concertgebouw.、Um, there's this little streets, and and just behind it, there's this cafe Welling, Welling. And it used to be one of those old brown Amsterdam cafes, full of cigar smoke and uh,、um, a lot of older people <laughs> smoking their cigars, having Geneva. And it's it's just a miracle that it has not disappeared after the smoking ban. I mean, it, it it's still there and it has the same atmosphere, except that you can actually see now、uh, what's on the walls and all. And、um, I'm happy that it's, it's surviving. It's one of the one of the hidden gems of of my neighborhood.、Ah, so in the museum、uh, playing quarter, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you take the artist entrance or exit, yeah, to your left, there there it is on the corner. Ah, on the way to Wonder Park. Yes, you、ah. know your way out still. Ah, okay. Ah, maybe I can still find well, it. <laughs> if you're there, give me a call and we go to, together to this cafe. Oh, okay. Oh, wonderful! Yeah, then the yeah, gazellek. <laughs> gazellek, yeah. Gazellek, yeah, yeah. So, yes. So, thank you well.、Uh, thank you so much for your time, and、uh, yeah, I hope to meet you in person after this pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I hope、yeah. to be back in、uh, in Singapore. I'll let you know if it happens. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for your time, Joanne. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. Thank you, and、uh, have a nice afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. Same to you. And if you have enjoyed this podcast, please like, subscribe, or share it with your friends. That would mean the world to me. Thank you and goodbye.